Welcome to DC Signal to Noise on this Friday. I'm John Harris, joined by Jim Wiesmeyer. And as always, we're going to try to separate out the signal from the noise. We've been going Washington over the last week. Before we get to that, Mr. Wiesmeyer, there's been something I've been meaning to bring up on here for a few weeks now, and I keep forgetting, and I think we need to. Um, just to show your, your, your expertise in separating signal from noise um, and, and how it's even recognized by the robots. Uh, we often take these segments that we record uh, here at AgriTalk and elsewhere and run them through an automated transcription service called Otter. And uh, Eric, our, our producer, if you would go ahead and bring up that slide and show what Otter took Jim Wiesmeyer to be on a recent AgriTalk segment. That's right. It's not Jim Wiesmeyer. It's Jim Way Smarter. <laughs> well, what's the glitch in that? I don't see anything wrong with that. <laughs> I think it's a very accurate transcriptor. I think it was spot on, huh? Yeah, all right. It's all right, Jim. Way smarter. Let's get into the sure. way smarter yeah, issues yeah, of the yeah. week. Now I'm under the gun. That's right. You better perform. All right. Um, I lost my list. Let me bring it up here real quickly. Before we get into that, though, just a reminder for those who are listening to the podcast. Uh, if you haven't yet started joining us in, joining with us on the live broadcast, uh, join the AgriTalk Facebook page, 2 p.m. Eastern every Friday, uh, except for next Friday. We won't be here next Friday. We'll have a week off for the holiday. But uh, um, 2 p.m. Eastern on Friday, 1 p.m. Central. And you can be a part of the show. Watch us live if you care to see these old ugly faces, but also more importantly, he can send us comments and questions and be a part of the conversation. Um, so let's get into it, Jim, and let's talk about uh, the presidential race. We're nearing some some key deadlines here that should put to bed some of the back and forth, uh, or well, not much forth, but a lot of back coming from the Trump administration. Um, as we get near the end of the month, most of the states will have certified. And of course, the big deadline of December 14th, when the electors certify the race. Does that officially put this thing to bed? December the 14th does. And actually the state certifications. It should. Yes. And what we've seen over the past few weeks, you know, I, I, you know, this is a sensitive issue. We can all tell from the emails we get. But. Uh, yes, the, the, the you know some of these irregularities are perceived should have been checked out, uh, but you also in the courts have to have proof, and and uh, so you know we are going to see uh, the courts have not ruled uh, in the Trump's team uh, favor uh, in a number of cases, many cases by the way, if not all. Yeah, latest count I think I heard was two for thirty nine. Yes, yes. Uh, and but also what has been perplexing to me, well, it should have been perplexing. It's Trump 101 is how uh, open the charges have been in the public. I mean, because it does um, rabble rouse it, John. And, you know, I liked a lot of the Trump's tweets before, to tell you the truth, because he went over and above the very, very biased major media. But, uh, boy, some of the statements or the charges on how the election transpired did, did I think, add to the you know, negativity of the whole process. So if that well, was and, and absolutely design, no basis for many of them. No, it wasn't. No the, basis for many of the charges. Proof. You need proof. And, and again, well, I, but, but know, it goes beyond that, Jim. Yeah, it goes beyond that. There were... 
it wasn't even that there wasn't proof. There wasn't even anything to begin uh, other than, you know, uh, something somebody said on social media. There was no there there on a lot of these, even to begin with, even to start the, the rabble rousing on them. Yeah, but you're not going to convince the majority, not some, the majority of Trump voters because the minds are set on this one. That's what I hear based on telephone conversations and emails. Uh, this is just he he said, she said, and the 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 many Republicans just will not believe uh, anything if Trump is not declared the victor, John. That's it. Well, and, and is that what's behind this press conference from Rudy Giuliani yesterday, providing, you know, presenting all kinds of wild new theories, um, just trying to to keep this alive, the notion that the election wasn't fair, so that uh, Donald Trump can can go off in the sunset and say he was robbed of the election, and and keep the fight going in the media after his presidency's done. That's the signal I got. Yeah, the signal was noise, but that's the signal I got. Yeah. Well, but it, but it also plays into the financial future for Donald Trump, doesn't it? Oh, uh, it does. Uh, but you know what? What needs to be done uh, in all practicality is for Congress to hold hearings next year as soon as possible, uh, and get get the reviews of what at what happened and what did not happen. But come to, come to put their arms around the early voting. Uh, the sending out the ballots, et cetera. Is this going to be the norm now? If you don't have standards, uh, we're going to be right back into this each major election. And we're going to see the number of ballots uh, in these two Georgia runoff races. Uh, you know, th that's already a question, John. Yeah, indeed. And I would agree with you that, uh, of course, it ought to be done every four years that we go through and do a postmortem on the election cycle and see what worked, what didn't, and what needs to be reviewed. And I, I would agree that the landscape has changed so dramatically uh, in 2020 that, yeah, we ought to be looking uh, more closely at how to make uh, make sure that the uh, mail ballot system is effective. If there is a path forward to go to some sort of a, a remote electronic voting, all of those kinds of things. Um, that we should look at and, and find a resolution to before 2024. Yes, and, uh, sta and standards for softwares that's driving the machine that has to uh, get clearance from the states using them rather than to disregard um, that specification, like apparently some states, you know, did not uh, do. But at least that would put that hopefully, you know, to rest if you have standards in the software. Yeah, and I would underline standards and not standard software, because one of the greatest strengths of our voting system is that it is so uh, spread out among various stakeholders, various agencies, uh, among the various states. And so there is no easy way to uh, attack the election process as a whole, because you have to impact so many different uh, points of entry into that election system. So I think having separate election systems is a great tremendous strength in our uh, election process. Absolutely. We just need to, to feel confident as as uh, you know, voters on both sides of the major parties feel that, that there's integrity in the system. It's not there now. But, but <laughs> I mean, let's face it, a, a lot of the, the doubt and the integrity of the system has been sown by President Trump and his team in this That's election true. cycle. As there was animosity from actually before Trump was elected in 2016, 
Uh, we saw yeah. many try to get at him before and uh, for uh, you know years after he was president. So you know this you know country has to you know become a more uh, cohesive uh, whole when it comes to elections because we're just not there now. Indeed. And a good question here from Gary coming in. Anyone talking about using blockchain going forward in voting? Easiest way to fix this and build confidence in the system. I know there's people looking at it who are much smarter than Jim and I, even though Jim is way smarter. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but I don't know that they have found a solution that would be universally welcome yet. It'll be interesting to see if they can do that yes. uh, within the next next four years. And I know a couple of the pollsters, uh, and uh, they're humble now after their horrible results from the last election. And I'll ask them your question. I, I think that you know it's a it's an excellent point to bring up. Yeah, it is. And uh, certainly blockchain opens up a lot of different possibilities and uh, voting security would certainly be one of them. Um, so how do you see the rest of this playing out, Jim? I mean, obviously, Donald Trump is not going to concede the election. Um, what happens when this comes to a head on December 14th? Well, you wonder, you have to hold your breath until to see what Trump says uh, after that. I mean, but the uh, the the directions are clear what happens. Uh, the uh, we can officially call Biden president elect. Um, um, that's been a sensitive issue because I know the fervency on the part of Trump supporters. They did not like to even see or read President-elect Biden until the December 14th announcement. I understand that. And in my writing now, uh, I have gone to that uh, where I didn't at the beginning because I think it was clear, but still I acknowledge the emotion and the pain out there. But December the 14th, we'll have a president uh, announced. So they become president-elect until inauguration date, January 20th. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see uh, how both camps respond to those events as they play out uh, over the next uh, few weeks. And we get the uh, transition going. I mean, that's important, too. Hopefully, we won't have to wait until December the 14th or thereafter to really get the mechanics of a transition period through, because that that would be pretty uh, late, although it's been done before after the Florida You'll vote, but there was transition, uh, you know, things going on even in the year 2000. So this is the exception uh, to not have hardly have any transition, you know, between the two political parties. Yeah, and, and I think that's worth pointing out that because a lot of people do point back to 2000. Well, in 2000, the Clinton administration, uh, of course, uh, Al Gore as vice president was receiving. Uh, the public daily briefing and other uh, transition tools, if you will. Um, and as that court case wore on and the recounts wore on, the Clinton administration actually um, decided that it has been going on too long that it was putting transition in peril and started providing the public daily briefing and other transition tools to George Bush before that court case was settled. So um, you know, to say that, that, well, things were delayed in 2000, so they should be delayed now. That's not really analogous. True. True. But we're in a different era now, and hopefully, uh, there'll be more cooperation from, you know, from now on, let's hope, because we've seen the downside okay. of this. I, I think any, any president who gets as many votes that any 
would-be president who gets as many votes as Biden got should 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 have a transition period as ASAP. But uh, it's just been a wrong decision by the Trump administration, period. Yeah, well, and the Trump administration said, well, what does it hurt to take the time to look closely at the balloting? I think everyone agrees there. At the same There's time, no what question. does it hurt? What does it hurt to give the information and access to the Biden team, given what we know about the election count at this point? Agree. Agree. All right. Well, let's move on to uh, COVID aid. Um, we've been talking about this for seemingly ever now. Um, and it doesn't seem like that issue advanced at all this week. Um, you've got uh, Senate Republicans still saying they want to keep a very, uh, a well, I wasn't, I wasn't going to say a very low number, but it's not a low number. It's just a comparatively low number uh, for that bill. While Nancy Pelosi and the House Democrats um, seem to be locked in at keeping that bill as high as possible, um, so it doesn't really seem like there's any movement towards finding something in the middle here, Jim. Not yet. You've got some people in the White House saying th they still want a real quick skinny bill of one and a half uh, trillion dollars. Uh, I think I got but you don't that get right. you don't get Pelosi or uh, or uh, the Senate Republicans with that. No. Uh, so, uh, we're going to see now Chuck Schumer, who's the minority leader in the Senate from New York, uh, said last night, uh, I don't think it was correct that, uh, the, uh, congressional leaders from both parties and chambers would meet, uh, uh either today or soon. I, I, but, uh, the Republicans came out and said, no, what we're meeting on is the uh, omnibus budget bill that will uh, fund fiscal year 2021, which started October 1. So there's even differences, John, on whether or not either they met on COVID aid or will meet. But let's get to the bottom line. The signal I'm clearly getting, John, on this is there will be an eventual COVID aid stimulus uh, package. We just don't know when and what it contains. Now, farmers and ranchers want to know a couple of things. Will there be uh, uh, additional aid in there? Uh, Nancy Pelosi, a Speaker of the House, said this morning at a presser uh, that she wants additional food aid. Now, that usually means, uh, uh, you know, food stamp, uh, you know, fund additional food stamp funding and maybe a repackaged, uh, you know, food package you know, program uh, that they've operated uh, prior. The food uh, boxes, yeah. Yeah, 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 you know, the food boxes. Uh, but again, the um, what happened also, I don't want to get too wonky on you, but the Treasury Department- You can never get too wonky on this show. Come on. That's where, <laughs> wonky is where we live. Treasury Secretary Stephen Mnuchin yesterday and the White House pulled back on some of the tools that the Federal Reserve has been using relative to uh, COVID uh, uh, aid and not not directly, but but that surprised people. And so we're still trying to find out why would they want have to have signaled uh, that uh, even though some of these programs have not been utilized that much. But 
the, the coming COVID aid package and stimulus package, I like to say, will be a targeted one, John. There will be additional funding for the uh, you know, payment protection program, but I think it'll be geared mo much more to smaller businesses and other people, and it'll be an accelerated process from what we've seen, you know, prior to that. Uh, relative to the any former, you, you know, payments, I, I get mixed, uh, you know, comments on that, primarily as a result of the really run-up we've seen in the commodity, you know, markets, mm -hmm. uh, you know, especially the corn and soybean markets and wheat, you know, to a degree uh, over the past month or so. Indeed, a couple observations in that. It, could it be possible, because uh, I think uh, uh, the administration is trying to pull back some, what was it, like $428 billion from the Fed in those programs. Um, are they, Could it be that they're trying to find dollars that they could pull back into a new COVID aid package that wouldn't be seen as new money by Senate Republicans? That could be. But now the Federal Reserve, there's some observers saying since that money was already authorized, they can just not follow what, uh, you know, what the White House hmm. has said. So that's going to be curious to see how that unfolds. But a number of people in the financial markets, they, that when you, when you, because, because before John, the Mnuchin was working very closely with the Federal Reserve, you know, you know, head, you, you, you know, Jerome J. Powell. Uh, right. But this starts putting another uncertainty into the marketplace. And that's the last thing we need right now. But again, I want to come back is we will get an additional stimulus package. Don't know when and the dollar amount. It could be the initial down payment that we talked about last week, which I still am holding out uh, odds for, and then come back early next year when we have additional uh, information and some more team members, such as a Biden transition team to consult with uh, as well. We're going to see. Now, farmers have also been asking about uh, you know, what about the Commodity Credit Corporation uh, Act funding? It looks like that may be bumped into the omnibus spending bill uh, that they are talking about, both political parties, John. Uh, what what the dollar amount, will it just be the replenishment back to the $30 you know, billion dollar borrowing authority? Again, a question mark, whether it will go above that. And also, will any lawmakers put stipulations on the use of those CCC funds. I know there'll be an effort by some, you know, Democrats to uh, to make specific language to have CCC funding uh, authorized for a uh, carbon credit bank. We're going to see if that flies. There will be other stipulations, perhaps from outgoing House Ag Committee Chairman Colin Peterson, uh, to insert language on on the use of CCC funding with consultations with the leaders of the House and Senate Ag Committee. We're, those are unknowns right now, but we'll be looking at the specific language whenever they release it officially. Is that CCC funding as critical right now? Because I mean, it, it's doubtful that the uh, Biden administration is going to uh, look at programs like uh, CFAP or market facilitation program or anything like that, that would tap into CCC. So uh, is there as an urgent need to get that uh, borrowing limit uh, back up at this point? Oh, I think uh, President Trump, I would say uh, uh, the Democrats, if they indeed are coming in, uh, President Trump showed them the, the money machine that's called CCC. 
and they could have a whole list of things they want to do relative to a revised ag and food policy and uh, perhaps tapping into the CCC. You already saw it in some of the transition reports coming into the Biden people uh, relative to uh, tapping the Commodity Credit Corporation Charter Act for that, uh, you know, uh, 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 ag carbon bank, John. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Uh, circling back to to COVID aid. So you think that um, just to be clear, you think there will be some sort of package before Christmas? I think so. But, you know, I weakly believe that, you know, it's, it's just, <laughs> this, this is all politics all the time, even more so now. And it's really tied into this Georgia runoff races, both of them, believe it or not. Does Nancy Pelosi want to keep up there with their $2.4 trillion package to show Three, how meager? Don't, well, don't cut her short. No, it was 3.4, but then they came back and clarified that, John. Oh, okay. All right. Late, late after we went to, to, to press, if you will, mm -hmm. uh, they initially said 3.4 trillion, but now it's back to the 2.4 to 2.5 trillion dollars, their last one that they pushed. Uh, but, but they did clarify that, uh, uh, I think last Friday evening, but, that's some of the the reports you get that the 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 you know Democrats may use this as a Georgia uh, you know runoff election issue, but it's also uh, increasing pressure on the White House to get some sort of aid package out there for the two Republican candidates in that or in those Georgia runoff elections. So I think though that race now is you know, actually boosting the odds for some sort of package, whether it be a, quote, skinny one or a full-fledged one. All right. And how does the omnibus spending package uh, tie into the uh, the COVID aid decision? Well, the COVID, well, it's got CCC Charter Act, and there could be, there's always surprises in a omnibus spending bill, things that they didn't want to put in a COVID aid package because it was too policy oriented that they'll sh shift to the uh, omnibus spending bill. That may be the last train uh, out of the shop, or it could include the COVID aid package, the omnibus. Well, that's, that's where I was getting to. I, Can okay, they wrap it I in? Can't, I can't rule that out. It could be wrapped in. Those, those are the options that are clearly in, in front of them. And I don't think any final decisions have been made. And again, the deadline for that is what? December, December the 11th. December, December 11th. Okay. December the 11th. Yes. And they'll want, the closer you get to hearing the bells of Christmas, uh, they want to get out of town. They yeah. want to get out of town because, so that's a little, um, uh, um, charger, if you will, to, to, uh, you know, you know, get them to act so they can, you know, get out of town, John. So things will get more serious once we come back from Thanksgiving. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Right. They'll, they'll want to get going. And after, uh, uh, Really, after December 14th, I mean, you could because of the announcement of President-elect Biden, I don't think you're going to see much really until the uh, you know middle of uh, you know December. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about this uh, Washington State um, overtime rule. This is a court ruling uh, saying that dairies in Washington State have to pay overtime. In fact, yeah, you and I talked to Dwayne Faber, a, a dairyman out in Washington State this morning on AgriTalk. He said one of the judges on the panel suggested that uh, workers could go back and sue for the past three years 
of overtime. Um, boy, Jim, this is this could be a big hit to not just dairies in Washington State, but ultimately just about every ag enterprise in Washington State. Yeah. Now, a couple of lawyers I talked to say that they did not specifically say, you know, touch on the back pay. So that remains to be seen on that one. And then, you know, they ruled that uh, Washington State dairy farmers are entitled to overtime pay if they work more than 40 hours a week. And the dissenting justices, you always have to look at what they're saying, too, because this was a close decision, said there was no right to overtime under Washington state law. The court not only tossed out the exemption the state legislature in Washington state passed in 1959, but from an important perspective, John, it ignores a federal exemption passed by Congress. But, hmm. uh, you know, we heard remarks this morning that the ruling could, could provide a template for extending the overtime to other states. Uh, but again, I was told the majority did not say whether the workers would be able to collect back pay. So that's going to be challenged if 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 they try that. Uh, and it, it, but other people in Washington State are saying, well, that can be addressed in future legislation. But to to me, the way I read this, it applies directly only to the dairy industry. Uh, at so, this moment, yes, yeah. Yeah, for the past 60 years, state law, like federal law, has exempted uh, farm workers. Uh, so, but this ruling was five to four, and it's going to be appealed. This thing, I just don't see this being the law of the land. You know, California is phasing in some overtime, you know, time protections, I found out, while New York this year began requiring uh, uh, overtime when uh, farm workers work more than 60 hours in a week and Maryland and Minnesota are also offer overtime, you know, protections to farm workers. But, you know, there's problems galore with this, John, even in Washington state. What if you're part of a farm uh, crew and 99%, by the way, of all farm workers in Washington state are Latinos. I found that of note. But what if say, if you're on a crew and your job is to uh, sweep the uh, barns out, do, do you, are you part of the overtime pay? Are, 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 is this a dangerous job? You know? Uh, now, we were told this morning that dairy, dairies, uh, uh, it would mean a higher labor cost. Again, I looked back. Washington State dairy farms already pay $18 to $20 an hour for all hours worked. Paying time and a half would be $27 to $30 above 40 hours per week. And we were told this morning that there's end arounds. Uh, he didn't specify what ends around were. Well, one would be limiting the harvest or, limit, or leaving crops to rot, absorbing the uh, extra labor cost or hiring additional workers to avoid uh, incurring uh, overtime payments. Yeah, try to do that with the workforce that, that's hard to get now that there's already a shortage of, of agriculture, uh, you know, labor. So, or, or also setting the base rate so that the, when you mix in the overtime hours, the overall payment equals what it would have been before. Yes. So I, again, I, um, this is Washington state, but boy, I don't see uh, this spreading to too many other states. And I think it could be uh, struck down, uh, by a higher court because of what I went through before. 
We'll see. All right. We'll oh, interestingly, so I did check with Farm Bureau National and ask if they had a statement about this. So, because that would be interesting. This is called a dilemma. Yeah for a national organization. <laughs> and they said they had no statement, but to contact Washington State Farm Bureau, of which I will do. I just didn't have time, you know, this morning to do that. Certainly, certainly. All right, um, and Pat, I appreciate the comment, but I'm not sure I understand it. So if you want to uh, clarify a little further, we'd be sure to uh, take up your issue there. Um, and anybody else that has a question or comment, feel free to drop them in the uh, chat function. We'll Jim and I'll chew it over. Um, Jim, this week, China took a big leap in trying to present themselves as the global leader in trade and really try to usurp the United States position there. Uh, tell us about this, this global trade pact that is centered around China. Well, it, it doesn't include the U.S., it doesn't include India, it doesn't include Canada, but includes 30% of the uh, of the GDP, and that's a lot. Uh, now, I think it's more of a signal of China's intentions for the years ahead, uh, much like they have been doing the past few years, John, on signaling uh, being a, a, a creditor to a number of nations with stipulations. By the you know, by the way, I just think this is on their road from a geopolitical basis to show that uh, they want to be uh, just as powerful. As, as the U.S. As far as the body of the agreement, it's the ac an acronym is RCEP, uh, it's okay, but I, I, there's a, a lower tariffs in a number of areas in the uh, Trans-Pacific Partnership. And a number of these countries also have bilaterals, you know, with each other that in, in some cases are better than the RCEP. And China didn't give all that much to tell you the truth. So I think if the signal is more show, but yet it it, it should send a signal to the uh, U.S. and and uh, and its ally and our allies uh, that uh, China is going to continue to be aggressive on the world front. Well, and it comes at a time, and China is taking advantage of this, that the WTO has been weakened in some large part by the United States. The United States position has been weakened by the notion that we're going to pursue unilateral rather than bilateral, multilateral trade deals. So they're trying to take the position that they can set the global framework for trade and, and try to fill that void. Yes. And as Sean Haney pointed out on AgriTalk, there's, uh, he thought uh, there's a better dispute resolution, uh, you, know, you know, program in the body of the RCEP and some definitions of terms, you know, embodied in that. Well, let's hope that's the case because the dispute resolution in the World Trade Organization is one of the several reasons why the Trump administration moved uh, significantly away you know, from the WTO, which really needs reformed. And you'll probably see a push by that, you know, by any Biden administration. Yeah, indeed. I'd agree with that. Um, so it'll, we'll uh, keep our eyes on this and see how it develops there. And uh, I think it's also going to be interesting uh, to see, Jim, how the Biden administration responds to this, particularly uh, if they do try to get into, uh, I can't remember all the letters that go into the new TPP, but whatever we're calling TPP yeah. now. CPTPP. Comprehensive yeah. something. Uh, we have <laughs> to blame Ch uh, Canada for that because I was told Trudeau wanted to change the name TPP to CPTPP. We're going to have to ask Sean 
Haiti about that on the next AgriTalk. We don't have to ask him. We'll just we'll just blame Canada no matter what. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Um, let's see. The last thing I have on my list is actually I want to. Uh, well, uh, first let's look at Pat is weighing back in. Dealer trust, big deal in cattle legislation changes gypsum. Uh, lean back to cattle seller from dealer's banker. Um, I'm going to admit I am not the best person to talk uh, about cattle other than I think you're trying to get at some of the transparency um, rules that are being put forward to try to uh, get price transparency back into uh, cattle. Is that what you take from that, Jim? I do. I, I do. And I think in my speeches, virtual now, I tell uh, industry stakeholders that this is not a Democrat or Republican issue now. The livestock industry is going to be really focused on uh, by Washington, both from the uh, you know administration, executive branch, and the legislative branch in the price transparency, perhaps anti perhaps antitrust concerns uh, in the COVID uh, aid area. Uh, did are, are the meat packers doing what they should be doing now? which is much better than it was when COVID-19, you know, first developed. Uh, these are not going to go away. And, and I think any time you should want uh, more price transparency. Uh, so there'll be additional hearings, but I think you'll have legislation in the new Congress beginning next year. Yeah, and we've had a couple of proposals put forward in Congress this year, plus a proposal drafted by the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Um, you know, I'm no expert on beef uh, and, and livestock uh, policy, but I get the sense that none of the proposals that have gone come forward so far uh, really are, are embraced as being uh, a, a complete solution for the problem. No, but I do like NCBA's uh approach that voluntary, but if, if certain guidelines are not followed, then they'll turn to Congress. So I, I like that uh, carrot and stick uh, approach. Uh, so, you know, that's the industry trying to deal with it itself. I don't think it's just a delaying concept, but I fully respect other sides saying enough already. We need uh, more cash market transactions. We need more transparency. And that, by the way, is led by uh, Senator Chuck Grassley, a Republican from Iowa. Yeah, but let's let's recognize, I mean, yes, I, I think everyone involved in the industry right now agrees that there's not enough transparency to truly discover uh, a market price on, on cattle right now. But the flip side of that is that um, the, the system that we have does remove some degree of volatility. Not only that, because you all, to me, I, <laughs> a, a good marketer in agriculture would say they like market volatility because it allows you hopefully to price during emotional days up in the marketplace. Uh, you don't want to flat market. That would be like the 1960s all over again in the cash uh, grain markets, just dull. You know, so, uh, yeah, I, I can see that side where uh, I'm a friend of volatility, but uh, it's not easy some days to deal with it. But still, it gives you opportunity to market your crops or livestock. All right. Well, Jim, let's end with uh, with a high note here. And I know you and I have both noticed this uh really dramatically in the last couple of weeks that the, the sentiment in agriculture has uh, it's just like coming out of a funk into the sunshine. 
when you combine the commodity prices that we've seen, particularly in soybeans, uh, and you know the the CFAP two payments coming out at the same time, um, there is an optimism out there and and a pent up spending spree uh, that we haven't seen for close to five years. Yeah, pent up. You saw the the number of combines, the percentage increase in the number of purchases of new combines. And then last week, I think it was on AgriTalk, we had Paul Niefer on where he said he had a number of clients wanted to postpone selling their corn and soybeans because they don't need any more income uh, this hey, year. Now, that. that's not, <laughs> boy, I haven't heard that for a while. Well, and, I heard the same from a couple of uh, farm credit execs this week. Yes, too. absolutely. That's good to me, but it shows you there's going to be some widening of bases early next year when some of this grain comes back onto the market. The so-called January, February break will come at us maybe with gusto. But uh, uh, also, you know, how often it's almost like a macro key as a writer we have macro keys uh where we heard you know from pam johnson and, and other good farmers that we want the price from the marketplace not from income transfer payments well you're getting it from the marketplace we had the world board uh you know mark jackanowski uh you, you know chairman say that he thinks there could be he said record uh, major crop acres in 2021 uh, due to the current price situation. I think what he meant was uh, combined corn and soybean acres could be record. Yeah. That that tells me that you're go uh, uh, you're going to get a, com a competition for acres, and boy, that that's a good sign. We haven't had that for a while, so we'll see if that carries into. Uh, early in 2021, but you've got soybeans as you had, as you said, nearing uh, uh, twelve dollars, mm -hmm. and uh, and then you've got uh, corn. Boy, I'm going on a memory here. Two almost four thirty, almost yeah. four thirty, almost four thirty, yeah. and wow, uh, uh, that's uh, profitable for many producers. I don't ever say all you know, because of the right. variability and cost of production. So, yes, and and you can well, feel although it. Although I will say, if, if you can't be profitable at $12 beans, you might want to be looking at, at your operation. <laughs> yeah. it, it, that's for sure. That's for sure. All my cousins who, most of my cousins who farm in Southern Illinois, um, they got their land uh, given to them from my uncles and their cost of production is quite low. So uh, I'm going to get Christmas presents this year from them because they're <laughs> happy, but yeah, you can feel it. When I talk to a couple of seed company executives and salespeople within the industry, you could, you could just tell it. They were, they were breathing easier uh, and they just wanted to continue because uh, uh, we need higher uh, net, and cash, uh, you know, uh, uh, farm income from what we said before. This won't be healed in one year. We need multiple years of this, uh, John, and because that'll uh, tend to uh, uh, resolve some of the issues relative to the dramatic uh, reduction in working capital that we've seen since the peak in 2012.
but it's not as bad, I think, as, as you and I might think. Uh, again, I talked to an exec from Farm Credit and one from Compeer that, uh, yesterday um, as part of the National Association of Farm Broadcasting uh, Trade Talk, and both said that um, that the financial picture uh, of their lenders is much better than one might expect given the last four or five years, that the vast majority are still in good shape. They, they've had to make some tough decisions over 2020, but they haven't been dire decisions and they've been able to reduce costs in order to get things back in line. So, um, well, the reduction, you know, like, but you've got 40 over 40% of the income is coming from in, you know, taxpayer right. payments on right. top of now, if you didn't sell, you know, if you were a procrastinator in marketing, <laughs> you're looking at what four dollar cash prices for corn. I can see that's why they're not having trouble. You know, so yes. but will this continue if you pull out all that money uh, in your spreadsheet for the 2021 crop? It gets concern again. You know, uh, uh, at at price levels. So. Uh, you know, I don't want to put bad news on good news, but you've had a very significant boost in in uh, cash income as a result of both from the marketplace and huge amounts of income transfer payments. Yeah, and, and my point is because of that, we don't have a big hole to dig ourselves out of, like coming out of the early '80s. Absolutely. Uh, that that the whole really is that that there's been a lot of deferments in capital investments. And now that there's money coming in, those capital investments are going to be made, which is going to be good for the overall uh, ag economy. Now, your point is very well taken that we'll have to wait and see what 2021 brings. Hopefully it is, as you pointed out, income from the market. Um, but, you know, there's not going to be CFAP. There's not going to be MFP. Um, and so it will be interesting to see what the 2021 growing season brings. But as we sit right now, people are pretty darn optimistic about it. And you can lock in a somewhat profitable price for many for 2021 crops, if you right. choose, where the last few years, it's been harder to do that. So yes, we're on the right track here. We are on the right track. So again, what I always say, my father taught me, you can't go bankrupt making money. So <laughs> be a prudent marketer. You know what your crop situation, your mix, you know, uh, and again, usually a rule of thumb is take your normal production uh, and shave it down and at least get an initial hedge or two on that production. I mean, or at least lock in your non-postponable cost, your input cost, because you know you're going to have mm. to have them. And that's how my family always worked. We knew what our costs were, so we hedged those. And then we could be a little more uh, waiting for these higher prices if and when they come. All right. Well, that was some good news there. Bad news is, Jim, I'm going to be sad. I'm going to, to talk to you for a couple of weeks. Yes. I, I Now I'm on to my Black Friday purchases. I'm the best thing for the U.S. <laughs> economy. I subscribe to Tavala. That's this meat. I mean, that's this uh, dinner ordering service, but they dropped the price of their excellent steam and convection oven to only $99. So I took the bait. So you're going to see a thinner me in 2021 my doctor says <laughs> i will do it so 
that's going to lead me to do it. So yeah, I, I'm there's your signal for next week. That's my signal for the next year. It's going to take a while, you know, but no, we've got, look at the positives. We mentioned the uh, ag markets. We mentioned uh, the the trade agreements are coming. I think you're going to see a U.S.-U.K. trade agreement. China continues to buy corn and soybeans. We have a, a several uh, very effective, it looks like, vaccines coming out with a distribution pattern that I personally think will surprise people in the year 2021. So yeah, there are things to be thankful for. We've been through a hell hell of a year, okay? But we've got some positive things to uh, end it. Indeed. All right, Jim, thanks. Been great talking with you this week. All right, and again, a reminder, we won't be here next week, but come back uh, in two weeks, 2 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Central. Join us on the AgriTalk Facebook page for more DC Signal to Noise.